0: Hey, how's it going guys? This is Christian coming at you in a little bit of post-production stuff If you're listening to this show on the 10th or the morning of the 11th uh, after the show releases We're going to be having a live stream with the Liberty Late Night folks on the 11th on the YouTube channel So if you haven't yet, go into to YouTube, look up Liberty After Dark and subscribe and hit the bell so that you guys can stay up to date I know you hear it a million times, but seriously, you won't want to miss this it's going to be 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, so make sure you guys come out. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy the live show if you haven't been a part of it yet, so don't uh, don't hesitate. Get in on this. Uh, hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the latest episode of Liberty After Dark, episode 27. I came, I saw, I ran obviously today we're going to be talking a little bit about iran i had to kind of put that one in the title there uh since that is the hot news of the last what is it 24 hours now uh 48 maybe at most so we are still going to be talking about the liberty year in review don't you worry about that Um, But I I feel like we kind of have to touch on Iran a little bit. I know everybody's talking about Iran. It's kind of like, oh, my God, another person talking about Iran. But I think we've talked about Iran once before on the show. We kind of went over some of the history of Middle Eastern conflicts. We're going to go a step further than we went last time and go pre-Cold War. Well, beginnings of the Cold War, I guess you could say. And we're going to talk about what led up to the tensions that we have with Iran today. If you guys want, if you guys hate it, then we'll just skip it and we'll move on. Um, but I think you guys will find it pretty interesting, as interesting as I did, at least. So, without further ado, news. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. How about that? We'll just leave all the news f- for, for the end. Um, we're going to jump right into things which we never do. So I don't have my time to warm up this time, but we're going to talk about uh, our year of uh, liberty. We're going to talk about the ways that we got one step closer to being a freer society than we were last year. And like I said, when we when I brought up this idea, it's really easy for us to step back and say, you know, look at how less free we are. And trust me, there are plenty of ways us to look back and say look at all the things that we've lost we could go we could do a list right now you know the smoking age change you got bump stocks you have i mean literally you could we could do this all day we could sit here and talk about all the laws that got passed all over but let's take our w's where we can get them right so i think it would be super cool to start out by mentioning just a couple broad things and then we can start talking about some specific things that i found that i think are really cool and some groups that I think are really cool and then we can all just kind of celebrate together that these things are doing their job and are working and are making people freer and then we can go back to talking about how bad everything is so <laughs> um, and the first thing that I'd like to start out with is, is really just like the big national things that everybody's um, whether or not you like the people pushing the policy the de-escalation and decriminalization and legalization which is less cool than decriminalization but all right of of cannabinoid related products um the lack of legislation on cbd products uh, marijuana in general just actually just just substances in general has been laxed on a lot the thinking on how addiction affects people's lives and how we should respond to that has changed a lot in a great way uh, especially over the last, really I'd say over the last eight years, but the last four years we've seen things get put into place. And this last year is just a continuation of that that are helping minimize the amount of impact that these uh, laws will have on people's lives in the future. So that's something cool, right? We have a lot of states that have passed in 2019. I don't have the full list in front of me, but I know Vermont and a few other states did this. They passed constitutional carry which is great. Um, I think every state should have constitutional carry. Not that I support the constitution necessarily, but that I believe constitutional carry is what we as human beings are entitled to as a basic right to self-preservation and defense. So I think those are awesome things that have happened in a couple states. Uh, some already had them, you know, this is, I think this last year was Vermont. They passed constitutional carry, um, you know, so we have, we have guns, That are making some pluses in some areas. We have uh, decriminalization of illicit substances. That's making pluses. Oh, let's just talk about medical research is being pushed. I mean, so again, big bureaucratic nonsense, whatever. For the first time in forever, psilocybin and other psychedelics are being tested medically. Uh, Other illicit substances are too. And I say illicit in the government term, not necessarily in my interpretation of them, but... Uh, these, these are things that definitely have the ability to be used as tools in society, whether or not you personally think they should be out available to everybody. I think it's universally agreed that there is science that suggests that they could help people. Whether or not you, I don't even care about that. There, there is science out there and there needs to be more of it done so that we can get these to the people who need them. Uh, people who have seizures, people who have, uh, um, there's a central nervous disorder. I don't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head, but it's psilocybin is proven to help with that, like ticks and seizures and stuff like that. Um, Things like that. People can, people's lives can be changed for the better. I think this is great. that things like this are getting pushed through. Obviously it could always be better, but I think this is a great step forward. Uh, So talking specifically about a couple of groups that I think are doing um, is in, in the first one that I think everybody, whether, whether you're an anarchist or you're a minarchist, or you're just a libertarian, everybody needs to say thank you to the people over at the 10th amendment center because, okay, they may not be blatant anarchists. They're constitutionalists through and through pretty much, you know, what we would consider a minarchist libertarian with some exceptions, but they have been doing some great Great, great things to keep the, especially federal government. They're a little more lax on state or city localized governments, which is half true. Honestly, we'll get into some of that, but especially federal government encroachment into state activities. They've been super, 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 super good on that. Um, They've been really hitting things like government surveillance, police overreach, uh civil asset forfeiture like these are things that impact everyday american citizens every single day and they have been fighting the good fight they've made tons of leeway i have their website open here which oh sorry forgot to put the little filter on i have their website over here and they have all sorts of great articles that i think everybody should go out and read um, like they have this one right here, nullify government tyranny in 2020, harness the power of your discontent. Now this is talking about the, the their interpretation of a method to like, it's very obvious uh, to nullify the existing government overreach in whatever way you can. Uh, just like the title says, it's very good, very well written. Most of their stuff is. And again, I'm not a huge fan of of the constitution that's just me personally i think there's a lot of great things about it but you know as as an anarchist i think there are better things than what we have now and uh but it's better i think these guys are definitely a step in the right direction so i will i will vocally support the 10th amendment center in their actions of protecting us and and t- i mean they've been taking people to court they take they've taken cities they've taken states they've they are fighting the good fight guys they're putting their money, donors' money is where their mouth is. So um, I definitely appreciate what they do. Uh, please, you know, just go out and read some of their stuff. I'm not saying you have to give them money. I don't think I've ever given them a cent, but talk about them. At least spread the word. Let people know that they exist because they're a pretty great group of people. Um, let's talk about the dudes over at uh, Don't Comply. All right. They had another great year. They had, I think... Uh, Two or th- I think they had three events. Mr. White could clarify on that, but I know two for sh- certain. The latest was Feed the Need, and we talked about that last episode, um, which was just awesome. Uh, exercising not just Second Amendment rights because the Constitution, but the right to self defense and to protect yourself from government tyranny, along with your rights to express empathy and be a compassionate human being and help those in need. Um, I think that's literally what it means to do what we do. Voluntarists or whatever you want to call yourself, like we talked about last week. And uh, that's a very grassroots movement. There's a lot of cool guys over there. Um, some of them like Ben uh, and a couple others. We have uh, who was on our show from Disenthrall, Patrick Smith. Thank you. Yeah, Patrick Smith does a, does a great, great. Great, great, great. Um, I don't know if... It's just a YouTube channel. I don't think it's released as a podcast, but if you haven't checked out his stuff, do so. This is like the giant plug episode. I'm plugging everybody who's been doing great things and all the great things that have happened. Um, so yeah, check them out. Learned, you will learn... If you go onto his channel, you will learn things. What more could you ask for? If you go to Disenthrall and you plug in and you sit down... And you actually listen to the conversations that are being had, you will learn something every single time. There's not a single time I've listened to an episode and I've said I've gained nothing from this. So I I feel like it's a great use of your time. Even if you just passively consume content, you may pick up bits and pieces that you can take along the way. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of lumping him in with the Don't Comply group because he does participate in a lot of their... Activities. I'm not sure whether or not he's, you know, like a, a core member of that group or not, but he does participate actively. So we're going to go ahead and throw him in that group, too. Um, another group of people I'd like to talk about. Uh, this is specifically just shows people spreading the word. We've had two. Well, one new podcast this year, the same year as me, the people who inspired me to do this show. Uh, Dave and Mary over at Liberty Late Night. If you guys have not checked them out yet, you need to. I'm sure every single person who's watching this right now has heard of Liberty Late Night and David and Mary. If you're listening from the podcast, I know there's some of you who are holding out. Go over, go to their Facebook, go to their YouTube channel, like them, follow them. Sh- these, these, okay. So here's the thing about Liberty Late Night that you know, nor- <sighs> they're friends, okay. And I'm not just plugging them for the sake of plugging them. They serve a very important role in the process of taking people from normies to where we are now, okay? I've, you know, is Liberty Late Night, like, a- as analytical as disenthrall? No. Are they going to talk about controversial stuff all the time, like I like to talk about, and, you know, these super, like, heart-to-heart conversations? No. But what they are, is they a community? One, that's super important. That's something that a lot of people don't have. And two, they're super inviting people, okay? I've been told that when you first listen to my show, it can be, you know, it's a little off-putting. You kind of have to stick around for a minute to get to the good stuff. You know, it's not for everybody. I totally get that, you know, but I've never heard someone watch David and Mary and say, like, that wasn't fun. If nothing else, that that wasn't an an enjoyable experience watching them, you know, uh, do their show and being a part of the live experience, You know, so if you guys haven't yet, for those of you listening in the podcast or here live now, look at them up on YouTube, look them up on Facebook and keep them in mind because if you ever want to give people some easy to consume, entertaining information about libertarianism, anarchism, all sorts of different topics, uh, they have, I mean, Larry Sharp was on last week, guys, for Pete's sake, I mean... We're talking about, that's a big name in libertarianism right there. So send your buddies that way. Uh, I think it will do a lot of good for them to kind of gradually, because we, we have this issue and I don't want to get too in-, in depth into this, but I think I, I have, I do this all the time and it's something I'm trying to do less, but someone will be like, oh, what's libertarianism? And I'll send them like, like spooners, uh, no treason, the constitution of no authority and that's not a great way to introduce most people into the ideology. I I kind of get that. I'm you know I'm a little weird in the fact that if someone brought that to me, I would appreciate it. But there, most people are not wired the same way that uh, that I am. So I accept that. And having places to go like David and Mary is awesome. it is fantastic for the whole community. It is fantastic for. the 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 chain of progression of people moving across libertarianism and you know what even if you know let's say you quote unquote i don't want to make it sound like this because it's not like you outgrow their show i mean i know tons of people who enjoy content from higher caliber if you want to put it that way or, or higher brow shows like mine or like disenthrall or something like that that still love david and mary i watch them like every week so i mean you watch them they're good so that's enough of that great show check them out uh, one more show that i want to talk about is the gold standard with Al mosley which is being rebranded into oh you guys gotta help me on this one uh it's too late i believe is the n- new name can someone confirm that for me um either way alan mosley hosts this show um every week yeah it's too late that's what i thought okay And, uh, it's pretty good stuff. It's pretty good stuff. If you are looking for somebody who maybe wants, uh, a little more of that, he's got, he's got a sense of humor about him that I think people really appreciate. Uh, he has a lot of really cool guests. Ron Paul's been on before. Uh, he's a great member of this community of content creators that I think honestly doesn't get as much, uh... Clout is he kind of deserves for the effort he puts into it, but I think that'll turn around here pretty soon. He's doing some really great things. And I think you guys should check him out. Sherry voluntary does uh postcards to Somalia with him, who you should also look up as well if you haven't yet. Sherry's been on my show twice. So if for some reason you're not following her, obviously she's doing something right. So um <laughs> Yeah, but Alan uh, was on a few a few months ago now, and uh, you should definitely check his stuff out. Now that he's going to be doing this rebranding soon, they're kind of changing up the format. I kind of like how things are looking, the kind of shift in perspective that's going on, um, and so I think that is a great place also for pe- to send people. You know, if you think like stuff like this is too echo chambery or maybe too like a lecture, that's fine you send people to Allen, you send people to Liberty late night, then that is, you know, those are two places that you can send people that are very entertaining, very informative, very well-spoken and fun people who you can uh, send them to hang out with. And they all do live shows so they can feel like they're a part of the experience. I think David and Mary have kind of like got the live show format down where they really engage with the audience a lot. So if you, like, if you think people would more enjoy being active participants, I'd send them there. If you think people would more enjoy being passive, send them there. But I think that's something I'm going to try to do more is when people say like, oh, hey, uh, you know, we got this, this, that going on. What's what's up with this libertarianism thing then or, or this volunteerism or anarchism or however I present it, then I think I'm going to start sending people. I mean, I've already been telling people, like, hey, go check out Liberty Late Night. I'm like, these guys are fun. And even whether or not they agree, most of the time people come back and they're like, yeah, that was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. Those guys are funny, you know. Drink a little bit on the on the stream and have a good time. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> so everybody seems to enjoy it. So, but yeah, that's enough of uh, jarking off all my friends. Um, we've had, I think it's really, again, I've talked about this last week. It's really easy for us to look at this at the year and just just look at all the th- bad things that have happened, all the things that have not gone the quote unquote volunteer lib- voluntarist, libertarian anarchist way, and uh, so we just gotta sometimes you just gotta take a step back, just for a few minutes. You know, this one that wasn't very long. We just kind of blasted through it. You know, we didn't we didn't dwell for too long, but it's important to step back and look at what you've accomplished because it's, it's really easy to look how far you have to go and say, Oh man, we're never going to get there. But when you look behind you and you see how far you've come, yeah, I, I get it. You know, it's sometimes it feels like one step forward, two steps back, but there are times where we take two step forward. So, Oh, look, Liberty late nights in the chat too. And nightmares saying, come to Tennessee. I'm, I, I I'm thinking about doing it. I I just need to get tickets. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it. So that'll be cool if a bunch of people come out there. Um, Dave's here. Yep. Dave's here from Liberty late night. But yeah. So yeah, that's just something to keep in mind. You know, we've, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, staying positive. We've been talking about keeping a good mindset, presenting ourselves appropriately. Uh, you know, it's important to, To look at the small victories, like these communities that we have built, that have grown these organizations that have been doing their best to fight the good fight. These people need to be recognized, you know, I mean, we can't just sit here and be like, oh, everything's terrible. When we've got people doing good work, they need to be, you know, sometimes that's all people need to hear is like, man, you guys are doing good work. That's important to a lot of people. And I completely understand why. It's, it's, it's infuriating to be working your butt off, especially when it's like for other people, especially like when you do something for other people, then that's, you know, just somebody saying like, we appreciate what you do and don't stop is huge. It's a huge thing. So we've built a small boogaloo band. Exactly. Hey man, you know what? That's better than none easy easy better than none not even a question better than none and nightmare here says heck yeah small victories are victories exactly did we topple the government and establish a voluntarist utopia where everyone understands the nap and complies with it because they're all well-minded decent human beings no no we've talked about this for a couple weeks now you know we gotta yeah it's been yeah i got gotcha. you We got to, we got to kind of, we got to kind of temper ourselves, you know, baby steps, guys, baby steps, baby steps. We're still in the education phase and the things like the Boogaloo bands, things like Liberty late night, things like this show, things like Allen, things like Dysenthrall, things like the 10th amendment center. These are all things that need to happen. These are good things that need, without them, we wouldn't be getting anywhere. Think that's an even better way to think about this. If all of those things that I just mentioned went away we would it's it's a recognizable difference like you may not be able to really perceive what it would be like if these things didn't happen because we kind of throw ourselves into this idea that like the status quo would persist but the status quo is not persisting primarily because of of the organizations like the 10th amendment center and these these activist groups that are going out and and really causing a stir and, uh, yeah, to an extent, the people who are, are spreading the word, like us in Liberty Late Night and, and Alan and Sherry and all those people. And I think it's important that we really take a step back and say, we are doing what we can in our own little ways. Could we all be doing more? I guarantee it. Every single one of us. I promise. Maybe some of the people at the 10th Amendment Center, but I don't. I don't think that there are there's anybody i can think of off the top of my head that's doing everything they can but that's okay too it's okay i think that's important as long as you're doing something that's better than nothing that's all i can ask do something anything <laughs> i don't care if it's putting stamps on liberty postcards which most of them i think come with like the little stamps like inked onto them now right or am i just crazy ah it feels good man feels good. You know, it feels bad meme. It's the opposite of that. I just think it's not appealing to most people who think we should pay taxes to achieve certain things to boost our overall standard of living in society. Um, So, okay. So you want to talk about this for a second. There's... We have to come to an understanding that I don't necessarily have an issue with anything that taxes get spent on domestically. Let's put it that way. Like, I don't have a problem with the fact that we're buying health care I don't have a problem with the fact that we're paying for poor people's food I don't have a problem with the fact that we are you know improving people's lives who need it what I care about is where the violence comes in okay I know we're kind of taking a, a curveball way off in the left field but I want to make sure this is really clear okay I'm not here who's the kind of person who's going to say here and say like man like I guess the pores are just going to have to starve I think that it is super, this is why I talk about all the time that we have to educate guys. We have to educate. So the the problem is, is that the violence is the violence involved. That's the fundamental thing about voluntarist philosophy, right? If you if you voluntarily contributed a certain percentage of your income every day to or every month or bi-weekly or however you get paid to go to whatever you want. You know, I mean, it could be to literally whatever you want, as long as it's nonviolent and doesn't negatively impact people who didn't voluntarily associate themselves with it. So, like, say you wanted to contribute to a fund that did Medicare or Medicaid, you're entirely entitled to do so. You just can't force anybody else to be a part of that. And it's not about the fact that I think that people shouldn't support those who need it. I, I, it's really important to understand... That it, the, the issue is the violence, okay? Obviously, universally, I don't care if you voluntarily associate yourself with it. You can't, like, start wars and, and kill babies and bomb people in the Middle East, which we're going to talk about later. You can't, you can't do that. It's wrong. It violates the non-aggression principle, which, whether you agree with the non-aggression principle or not, you believe in reciprocal exchanges between social interactions... So, basically, you believe in the non-aggression principle. And if you don't believe in reciprocal exchanges of of, uh, of social interactions, then you believe in your superiority over a person, which allows you to interact above them, which means that you're, in some extent, a supremacist. So, I'm not assuming that. I'm just saying that if you do believe in that, you essentially believe in the non-aggression principle. But, uh, he says... I think that if you don't want to opt into Medicare for all system as standards, oh, Sanders has rolled out. It's because you don't like a really good deal in comparison to what we pay versus what we currently get. Uh, So there's a really great article that I wish I could remember where it was from. I believe it was Sirens, who's not here, who linked it on her Facebook. And it was written in 1998. And it was about how to fix the healthcare system. Because even then, we've been talking about healthcare for like 40 years, guys. Universal healthcare was first brought up in legislation in like 1984, I think, 85. It's not a brand new thing. It died for a long time, but it's not a brand new idea by any stretch of the imagination. And I think if you read the article, it's crazy because they talk about the same kind of things, but from a completely different perspective, right? In, in 98, health health was expensive, but it's not to the same astronomical value that it is, especially pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals over the last 20 years have just skyrocketed. They've disproportionately increased past inflation, past the cost of materials. Uh, let me read this comment. So if someone is not smart enough to see the value, but still has the option to take advantage of it, it's not an excuse to not pay as such as a road or a pill. Uh, well, first off, if you wanted to create private roads where only people who paid for them could travel on them, you could do that. I mean, there's nothing ethically wrong with doing so. There's private roads everywhere all over the United States that are like that. Um, but obviously you would create this system to where if somebody didn't pay into it, Or it had the means to, like, let's say your system was a Medicare or Medicare for all or whatever that was specifically designed to benefit people who couldn't afford health care currently, then, yeah, then, sorry, I was reading your other comment. Then if someone, like, if I chose, and I'm completely capable of paying for my own health care, if I, you know, if, if that were to be the situation, if I chose to not go into medi- your Medicare system, Medicare for all system, and I wanted to use private insurance, I just wouldn't get to use your system. And if your system can't sustain with however many people that opt into it, it's not a it's not a valid system. That means somewhere you either had to use monopolist coercion or you had to use violent coercion to get what you need. And that's not ethically okay. The ends do not justify the means. They never have. Uh, You should only be able to own a road or private road if you own the land. I mean, okay, I, I get what you're saying. I completely understand what you're saying. But if someone were to purchase the public land, then you're, you, which just totally happens all the time. But So he's saying, okay, look right on where you are. You can afford a more expensive health insurance. Sure, yeah. And if I don't want to, and you would rather pay more for it, and not cover everyone else. Um, I don't know. I mean, so let's say you came to me with a private solution that said, "Hey, like we're gonna pay, we're gonna make you pay more than everybody else on copay, but we're going to support those who can't afford to make these copays." Right? I don't have an issue with that. What I have an issue with is someone coming up to me and saying, "You're going to to you're going to pay for these people." No matter what. Or you're going to go to jail for tax evasion. That's an issue. That's a huge problem. So you're paying more now and people are not covered. There's nothing to suggest. Okay, so again, the only way you're going to decrease prices with Medicare for All is if you use monopolist coercion, which is anti-free market as it comes, or if you use government violence and the, the courts... And penalties and fines as a way of enforcing pricing. That's not ethical. (laughs) That is not ethical. Yes, everything proves it is cheaper. If you use violence to put these standards into existence. Okay? It's not like you just say, okay, we're Medicare for all now. And we're going to charge this much. And it just kind of happens. I have looked into it before. You have to use monopolist coercion. Which is why... This is why they want to so many people, not they, not all of them want to ban private insurance because they realize that if private insurance exists as a free alternative, Medicare for all will not be able to get the pricing that they want to reach the tax credit. I guess you could call it that or the tax burden is what it should be called that they're advertising. Okay, you're not going to get the half cost premiums. If private insurance still exists to compete with Medicare, because private insurance is going to be able to continue doing what they do. Maybe they'll have to make some changes to stay competitive. But another issue is, is that there's so much legislation that proves, yes, private insurance jacks up prescriptions by 900% and dealerships jack up cars by 500%, which just gets to my point that... Just like car dealerships, okay? There's so much legislation that exists to protect the car dealership. We don't even question it anymore because it's been such a thing for such a long time, okay? But why can't Amazon sell you a car, okay? Even if it passed, every single regulation, what is it? Federal transportation, whatever it is. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but yeah. So we go ahead and, and... Amazon can't sell one of these because laws exist that say you have to sell through licensed dealerships, which is a specific kind of a business. So why can't health insurance companies move across state lines? Why are they all regionally cut up by state? Okay. why This is, that's because legislation exists. That means that says you cannot compete across state lines with other companies. That is an issue that reduces competition It's designed to benefit the health insurance companies. It was lobbied by health insurance companies. It's an example of government being used against you. Okay. This is, this is a great example of this. Those are two situations where you could be paying less for a better quality product and you're not because government has screwed you. So let's read what he was saying here. Private insurance jacks up prescriptions by 900%. Like there's always going to be a, a, profit to be made somewhere so i 900 i'd like to see specifically where that's from but okay let's just pretend the only ones calling it out in the house is aoc okay sure true yeah sure okay she calls it out i, I won't, i'm not even going to dispute that we pay for the research for that medicine which is paid for by taxes which are violently coerced which i don't agree with so of course i don't agree that we should be paying for research for that stuff uh, it's our medicine is it I mean I guess you could say because we're paying in taxes for the subsidies but that like also if we're gonna say that's our medicine then it's our fault me and you that you know all the people who've died in the last you know since you've been paying taxes at your job in foreign wars is also on our hands so if you really want to go that far that's the logical step and they jack up the price uh to price gouge and control markets. Yes, and mediocre for all fixes that Medicare for all see, but I'm not going to stay too long on this because I do want to talk about Iran and I get it like you're coming from a different perspective on this issue. You're looking at this from what is going to be the total maximum benefit for society in the most straight line path and I get that. Okay, I get if you were able to accept the fact that like okay, there's going to have to be some violence here. Somebody's going to be locked in a cage or shot or something. But if if you could, I could, I can see how you would get to this point, but if again, this is this is all assuming that you're you're running with the ethical conclusion that that some government violence is acceptable as long as it benefits the collective. I can see where you would get to where you're at. Now, But if you're, if you're, if you're looking at it from the perspective that I am, is that again, like, it's just like you said, dude, if you're going to be the kind of person who, who advocates for these things and you say, that is my medicine, then everything that your tax dollars touches by extension is also an extension of you. So if you're okay with that, then cool. If you're okay with your tax dollars being used to subsidize crap education, if you're okay with your tax dollars being used in the Middle East to plow over regimes every few years, if you're okay with the fact that it's being used to, you know, just kill small businesses and, and be funneled around into into subsidies for big businesses and pharmaceuticals, then sure, okay, run with it. Stay consistently that way we can disagree and know exactly where but you've got to realize that you can't have your cake and eat it too that's the thing about volunteerism is that it's not always fun but it's ethically consistent and that's what attracts me to it like i don't want to sit here and tell you like Yeah, like we just, we can't do that because as much as, yes, yes, as much as it would be such a quick and and just like a wave of the pen solution for a lot of people who can't afford health insurance, it's not ethical. Okay? It's kind of like saying like we can solve the hunger crisis if we just like, you know, take everybody's money and funnel it to Africa. Like, is that a super beneficial thing for everybody in Africa to be able to eat that are starving right now? Yeah. 100% not going to debate that but the ends do not justify the means and they never have so you're advocating for a middleman between you and your doctor telling you what they will and will not cover unless you're going to pay out of your pocket dude beggars can't be choosers I guess uh I'm also I don't believe healthcare is a right it never has been okay I'm very right right is a very strong word very strong word okay I think people should support each other and be compassionate and empathetic individuals, but I don't. I don't think it's a right. I think it's a very big difference. That is not a fair comparison of what is being asked. By the way, um, I think it is. I think it is a fair comparison actually, unless you can demonstrate how it isn't. Uh, and I'll I'll let you do that, and then we're gonna move on to Iran. I didn't say it's a right. I never said you said it's a right. I just made the assertion that, or I made the statement that I just wanted to clarify. I don't believe it's a right. A lot of people will say the reason that we need something like this is because healthcare's is a right and you have to demonstrate the fact that it's a right somehow, which is what, which is why I don't usually use the term natural rights because natural rights are, are difficult to demonstrate. Okay. You can, you can make some arguments, but you know, I usually use rights derived from the human condition or socially reciprocal rights, which are much easier to demonstrate. But I, again, not saying you said, Healthcare's a right. Only that—that's a very common argument. Don't believe in rights at all. That's completely fine. We can work with that. Um, I think you would believe in mutually reciprocal rights if we went into that rabbit hole, but we're not going to. So, cool. How about we put a pin in that, and we'll talk about healthcare next week. We'll talk about healthcare the whole time next week. I think it's a good one. It's made up. Okay. Maybe we'll talk about rights. I don't know yet, but. Um, <laughs> We're, we're gonna be talking about one of the two maybe both um cool okay so I ran so what so what happened all right everybody knows what happened okay salami pepperoni got blown up I don't even remember the dude's name I'm not gonna look it up but don't care he was a bad person he killed a lot of people great awesome he's dead now Wow wow let's just God, let's get into let's get into what's been going on here okay? So, out of nowhere, basically, out of nowhere, signal was given by Donald Trump to go ahead and send the attack over to take out the Iranian general, who was in Iraq at the time, uh, was a part of the group that, to give context, had been uh, sieging the U.S. embassy in Iraq. And, uh, they considered him a foreign combatant in foreign soil, in a military zone. Uh, so there we go. Now, yeah, so this is, this is important stuff. To give some context about this guy, yes, he was involved in a lot of terroristic activities. He was responsible for the death of a lot of people, innocents, and military combatants. He was good at what he did. But... uh, the Iranian people loved that guy. He was like a military figurehead. He was more like... I'd say he was more like Mattis. He says right here... Uh, they looked at American, how Americans would look at Captain America. It's more like if you put Mad Dog Mattis and Captain America into the same person. Um, and let's just talk for a second about what the issue with killing him was to begin with. Okay? So a lot of people are saying, well... They attacked first onto the American embassy, which is why we went ahead and we killed him. Okay, so there's some, there's some very, very, very cantankerous legal stuff going on right now. I don't know if you guys know this in international courts, which are debating on whether or not this was considered uh, an assassination of a military official in a non-combative zone because technically where he was was not engaged in any sort of war with the factions involved so it could be considered collateral casualty which would at, at best so the just to give some context this is also going on at the moment military law especially international military law is literally impossible to understand so i'm just kind of reeling what's going on at the moment i don't think it's going to go anywhere because international courts kind of suck and they don't really do anything but just to let you know it's it's being debated whether what they did was even even like morally reprehensible or uh, acceptable within the treaties and uh, that, that exist in the moment but Uh, haven't our presidents been involved in the killing of innocent people (laughs) repeatedly? Yes. All the time. Uh, he had nothing to do with the issue 250 miles away. It's considered an act of war to kill them and they will seek revenge for this. So the, uh, so I'm not, uh, okay. So there is photographs of him at the embassy the day of it starting. So I don't know if it's true that he had nothing to do with it, unless I'm mistaken. I don't believe I am. I'm, but whether I don't, I don't think it matters. Regardless, whether or not he was at the embassy, um, because I think that the way that I explained this before is that this is like if you went in and tried to burn someone's house down, and they shot at you, and you shot back at them, and said that you were justified in shooting at them as the arsonist. Um, it's high time we've left the Middle East for good. Uh, maybe not for good. Maybe maybe in, you know, a couple decades we can come back on better terms. But it's time we left the Middle East for a long time. Uh, it's been time, actually, for like the past 18 years. But, you know, it's definitely been for the last 10 at the very, very least. Um, considering how pretty much everything that so we could say this starts with 9-11 but let's go back let's do some history guys like i was trying to find a good way to i was trying to find a good way to bring this up but you know i was gonna gonna start talking about how we got to the position we are now and i think there's no better way than to look at what was really the first involvement with the u.s and iran that led to the relationship that we had today okay and so I don't know how many of you guys know this, but in 2013, I think it was, yeah, 13, 60 years afterwards, the CIA declassified some papers about how Teddy Roosevelt's grandson in 1953 was responsible for leading two CIA coups in Iran. One on the first, it was a four day operation in 1953. I believe it was August of 1953. One of them failed. The coup failed. Three days later, they led a coup, which Iran had a democracy, first off. During the election, the CIA toppled the democracy in Iran and put the Shah into power again, which led to the People's Rebellion in 1979, I'm pretty sure. Uh, And there's even images of people in Iran painting Yanks go home on the side of their walls. It was very obvious what was happening. Uh, it was very obvious that outside forces were involved in coordinating the coups. Uh, the, the prime minister was put on house arrest for the rest of his life. I mean, it was, it was bad. And this is how the Shah and the Ayatollah Khomeini and all these things, this is how all of these pieces got put into place. And this is what started our relationship with Iran. Really, like internationally speaking, before 1953, they we had no significant relation with them to really care about. Okay, before that, they barely existed, pretty much. <laughs> um, especially after World War II, when the entire Middle East was, or World War One, when the entire Middle East was chopped up and reorganized, and then World War Two restructured all the way up until basically the 60s and 70s when the borders started getting a little more consistent. So. Same thing with Venezuela and everywhere else. Exactly. So we have this very long history with Iran specifically about regime change, and we've done it there th- twice, three times, twice, I think we've tried it three times. We've successfully done so twice. And every time it winds up worse for the people in Iran on purpose, um, because we have such a vested interest in Saudi Arabia And Iran exists as a direct competitor to Saudi Arabia. If anybody wants to know why we have so many problems with Iran, it's because Iran and Saudi Arabia are the two competing forces in the Middle East. And Syria likes to think they are, but that's cute. Um, It's Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia. And we've been on the side of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia buys our guns. We buy their oil. They have all of these... Uh, they buy all of these weapons from us. We had like what a $5 billion weapons deal or some one point something. I don't even know the number billions of dollars of weapons have been sold to them. Tens of billions over the last decade. And we also have big treaties and, and we've been involved with the existence of Israel since it's become a country and Israel and Iran have some very deep tensions. So pretty much everything from the beginning had set us up to sabotage Iran. So imagine for a moment if you lived in a country where you had your nation has been consistently sabotaged over and over and over again by the United States of America for literally decades, literally decades, okay? And the people who are calling you... The problem in every situation, which whether they've helped their own situation or not is up for debate. I'm not going to get into that at this moment. But whenever you see them backing the same people who funded the terrorist attack against them, 9-11, just like it was brought up in the chat, you know, or whenever you see them backing your basically strongest human rights violators in the entire Middle East Or when you see them coming in and and destroying basically everything you've ever set up, destroying relations you have or uh, countries you have diplomatic ties with, it's gonna just push you and push you further and further away. Okay. Since the Cold War, basically, since since the uh, the hostage crisis, which does anybody want to know why the hostage crisis happened? Anybody? The rebellion that caused. The The People's Rebellion in Iran is what it's called. The, the reason that that was brought about was directly sourced to the coups that we instated. And so there was a. In, death to America. You remember all that stuff. You remember hearing about all that. That that is why (laughs) we had we had what could be considered a a healthy relationship with Iran up to that point. Was it complex? Was it very much more than very sparse diplomacy and and just general stuff to do with the Middle East? No. But the second we got involved with them, and then continuously were involved with the Shah until they were toppled by a revolution which was also maybe funded by us but then kind of spiraled out of control like I don't know like the Taliban like ISIS like Al Qaeda like, I mean <laughs> I make the joke Osama Bin Laden's probably sitting up in a penthouse somewhere because he's actually a CIA operative this whole time he has been since the freaking 80s whenever we hired him to fight against the Russians but <laughs> it's You know, as much as I can't stand Obama and as much as I don't necessarily approve of how the deal went about, the Iran deal was a step in the correct direction. Was it what I would have done? No. Was it a better step than blowing up their generals, uh, putting economic sanctions on them? (sighs) Yeah, I think so. I know so. I know so. Actually, I kind of my brain just died there for a second. I was trying to read and talk at the same time. I know so. Uh, everybody talks about how Iran had the capacity to build a nuclear weapon with the deal, and you know what? Honestly, you're you're right. I agree. They did. They did have a lot of ability to do so. Do they have the right to build nuclear weapons? Yeah, actually, they kind of do. Um. <laughs> Ever since basically the Reagan administration, or actually was it? It was Carter. Whenever the hostage crisis started, and then Reagan became president during the hots, right, Jimmy Carter. Wow, that's a long time ago. But yeah, basically ever since Reagan, we've taken this really hard line. We had a couple failed military incursions in Iran, a couple successful military incursions in and in with Iran. But I think in the twenty first century, I. Really, this is just probably the most blatant act of aggression towards Iran as a nation. Not towards Hezbollah, not towards any of the other organizations that are funded by Iran, which, you know, let's not even begin to talk about the fact that most of the terrorists we fight are funded by Saudi Arabia, so whatever. But this is like a direct diplomatic attack on Iran. And Donald Trump speaks for all of us, whether we want him to or not. Whether you think he's your president or not, whether he's not my president, there is he. He his actions reflect us internationally. Uh, this is just another issue with this whole unitary executive power that's been pushed since, really, since Bush, but started since Reagan and Carter. Uh, really, Reagan is this idea that the president is like this, this really strong executive in American politics. That's, that's not how it's meant to be people. If you like, I'm not even a constitutionalist. If you look at how the constitution is, is worded, the president is not supposed to be this power. He's supposed to be just as weak and pointless as the legislature are for a reason. The, The power of the presidency is one that can be easily abused. And the power of The commander-in-chief is one that can be abused even harder. And we've seen from literally since Vietnam, we've seen how the military can be used in ways that are not sanctioned appropriately in ways that they should be. If we're going to have a legislature, at least let them vote, okay? Whether you think they represent you or not, is that not a better alternative than just having someone say like, okay, wartime. I think it is. I think it is. Um it shouldn't even matter who's president really. I mean honestly, that's that's a fact of it. Like the president should literally exist to make sure the ship runs. I don't know where on earth this idea that the president was ever supposed to be the person who quote unquote directed the 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 president's more like a sage if you read the constitution, like the wise elder You put in the position to guide, kind of guide the nation, you know, give advice, kind of help direct and and push it along. Not, not the spear tip of the nation's progress. That's not how it's supposed to be. You're advocating for total deep state control. No, I'm not actually. That is, that is actually the opposite of what I'm uh, trying to do. I'm advocating the fact that there shouldn't be a federal government to begin with, but if we're going to have one, we should at least have the legislature be the ability, or have have the, the ability as drafted in the Constitution to be the ones who vote for the freaking wars. The president is to lead our generals if Congress declares war. The, the president doesn't lead generals. Donald Trump doesn't lead generals. Donald Trump says, go blow this thing up, and then they lead the troops. That's co- an that's ordering. That's not leading. This is, this is my problem with the commander-in-chief being the president. The, you don't have to know anything about military. You don't have to know anything about any of it. You just say, I want that thing blown up. And then guess what? They go and do it. You tell your the Joint, sti- the joint Chiefs of Staff, figure out how it's going to happen, and then they go and do it. You don't say like, okay, coordinate with this base, and we're going to use this type of ordinance we're going to drop it here here and here because that no he's just he just points at the map and says i want the guy that's there to i want him to go boom i want it to be the biggest boom you've ever seen okay china china boom china boom that is how it works okay don't don't try to tell me how the military works i know how the military works okay (laughs) the president was given information that this guy was there He was asked if we could go ahead and initiate the strike on him. And then he said, Oh, okay. Yeah, blow up the guy with the brown guy with the beard at the airport. I'm sure he's the only one. Yeah, they also killed like three citizens, right? Congress says we go to war. The president tells the generals to start and feed all major moves through his generals who feed that to him. I don't know what kind of military you've been looking at, but one, I don't want the president to be that involved with military efforts. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if Donald Trump actually acted as like the strategic command for the military? Holy God. Four dimensional tests. No. Hard pass, dude. Hard pass. Okay. I agree with like everything up to that point. Like, okay, cool. Congress says we're going to war. Actually the president at that point could say like could can really mitigate how much we do, which I kind of appreciate his ability to be able to throttle back. But I do think his ability to put the gas on should be also mitigated. So they should be able checks and balances, people. Checks and balances. But the generals are handling the strategies. Then there is nothing for the president to do other than nod his head. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like I'm not trying to like assault you. Or anything with these ideas. I'm just saying that like... All all he does is say... Blow it up. And that's it. Like, That's not strategy. Like, You know what happens when an executive tries to get involved with strategy? Okay? And I know this is not like a super... Okay, whatever. Stalingrad happens. And if you know anything about the Eastern campaign between Germany and uh, Soviet Russia during World War II... You know that Hitler's involvement in military strategy basically cost them the East... Um I mean whether or not they could have taken the east is another thing but it it 100% killed them faster so oh god okay whatever i'm gonna, i'm going to press i'm going to press dude um blowback this changed my life yeah nobody nobody likes to talk about that actually Ron Paul i think got booed for bringing up the idea of blowback and this is definitely something that I think is becoming more palatable. Um, but see, something that I have a big issue with whenever it comes to whether or not something is seen as, as like having potential blowback or being a violation is whose person is in office. That's that's something that really bugs me. Um, like if, if a, you know, when a Democrat was in office. Any sort of act of aggression, the Republicans were right there like, oh, you're trying to start a war. Now that Trump's in, it's the it's the exact opposite. The Democrats are like, oh, you're trying to start a war. I saw, I think it was Ben White posted it. He said, it was a post that was like, uh, um, oh, glad to see all the, oh no, it was Bo Wright. I'm sorry. Glad to see all of the uh, pro or anti-war Democrats are back after their however many years of slumber welcome uh welcome back hope you're here to stay this time Uh, do not count obama as a democrat okay regardless it's it's just mind-blowing man mind-blowing you have to have some kind of principle when it comes to form a lot of people are really wishy-washy like oh well this this country that supports terrorists and has very minimal human rights and doesn't support democracy, that country's bad. But this country that supports terrorists and has very minimal human rights and doesn't support democracy, that country's okay. That's, that's not how it works. And again, when we have this giant monolithic federal government that rules over everything, it makes it really, really, really easy for one person, <clears throat> for one amazing human being to go out and just blow it up like China. China's going to... They're going to say, wow, I've never seen an explosion that big. I got into a debate with somebody that claimed that the Iran attack was in self-defense. And I think if there was ever going to be a compelling argument to say that it was justified, that self-defense is it. But I think it's still a bad argument. Okay? Uh, I Again, the ar- the arson analogy that i brought up it's not a bulletproof analogy okay i i suck sucky analogies are part of the show people okay <laughs> welcome to liberty after dark but i think it's probably the best way of putting it right uh he said well you know according to the non aggression principle because this person is a libertarian if you were to uh shoot this person outside of your home the arsonist so to bring back the situation again for those who might have forgotten if you shoot at an arsonist who's trying to burn your house down and that person shoots at you, is the arsonist justified in shooting back at you for you defending your property? Okay. The – move that over. Take that person back. Oh, oh yeah. It's big brain time. <laughs> hey, Jimmy Neutron. What's up? I loved your show back in the day. <laughs> um, The – oh, God. What was I saying? Jesus. Yeah. So he he said, well, if the arsonist was at home – Which the embassy is pretty much, it's considered sovereign soil inside of Iraq. And the, we're talking about Iran right now. The biggest, the biggest thing to, Jesus, man, I keep throwing myself off the train. God, I I promise I'm going to get there, guys. Every time I see a comment, I want to address it, but I got to just, I got to just get through this. The, uh. He said, well, if the arsonist is home, the non-aggression principle says that you can't just shoot him because then it's an escalation of aggression. And he's, you know, should, justice should be done. You should have yourself, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the general was a, a guest of Iraq. See, I didn't know that. That's interesting. But, um, you know, you, you, you're not able to shoot him. It, it would be an escalation of aggression. And I said, okay, cool. All right, cool. What if the arsonist put a, a little tent in your home and said, this is my home now. You can't shoot me because I'm home. That's the exact same idea as people going and taking this this idea of the embassy of, of an aggressor in a foreign area as that somehow being like a safe space. Like, oh, can't touch me now. I don't know. I think it's a very... Um, I think it's a very government way of looking at things. How about that? No, no boogaloo boy would say like, Oh, my government says this is a not a sanctioned safe zone. No, no boogaloo boy would care if somebody says that. Yeah, we are the aggressor. I a hundred percent agree. I've said, you know, this whole talk has just been about how we have, no reason to be upset for them attacking our embassy because we've literally been screwing with them for the past 6 decades. This in my opinion was was like the easiest way to get off. <laughs> if this is if this is all that happens if this is how it ends, cool. This is the easiest way to get off. Let's just let's just go. Let's just get out. Let's just scoot scoot away. That's some deep state stuff, bro. There's a lot of deep state stuff going on. There's a lot of deep state stuff. <sighs> Jimmy want big boom. Jimmy hopefully won't get any big booms, man. I'm going to be completely honest with you. There's a couple ways that this ends. I could honestly, I mean, I think that there's, it's pretty obvious that if the U S were to deescalate now, I think this is the best chance we have at maintaining like any sort of, <laughs> well, diplomatic relations are shot first off. Like they have been for weeks, months, actually, since we left the Iran deal. Which we did an episode on that. But I think this is the best chance that we have. Of like it not escalating. However. If we are to continue this line of action. It's very very obvious. That we could escalate. Very very obvious. That it will continue to escalate. Uh, Axe wielding maniac says. Iranians are the aggressors. Um, I think 60 years of history. Would say otherwise. Actually Jesus man. 53 was jesus 67 years ago no yeah oh god wow that's crazy let's not pretend we ever got along with the russians though um yeah so i didn't even get into that part of this like everybody is like oh well look at iran teaming up with china and russia like china and russia are bad right like, okay well yeah they do bad things they do lots of bad things. Okay, I can agree with that, I guess. Why is Iran teaming up with China and Russia? Well, maybe because we've alienated them and toppled their regimes and threatened them and put sanctions on them for the last 60 years. Ah, <sighs> man. I think it's... Really, man. I mean, like, it's... it's once, once you start putting the pieces together, it's not that hard to see how this all strings together, right? And... Whether we like to like it or not, if especially if you're someone who supports the idea of a continuation of the style of government we have today, we are responsible for this, okay? Now, if you are someone who separates yourself from all of that, maybe you can say, like, okay, I'm, I'm hands off here, I do this, whatever, like, I'm not associated with this, I could, I could, right, you're fine. But for everybody else who's a part of this machine, and willingly so, this is on your hands, so... What are your views with the Dems giving money to Iran plus high-ranking Dems having strong ties to Iran? Um, well, I don't really like the idea of a representative having, quote-unquote, strong ties with any foreign nation. Um, but, I mean, I am, I'm not a fan of subsidies at all, uh, foreign subsidies. I think, I again, we talked about this earlier, but in the context of healthcare, I don't think that... The, the fact that we are helping people is bad. I think the fact that the money that we're giving away is stolen from the citizenry violently, and that's that's where the... So... Uh, Maybe if they didn't kill your civilians and have living standards, then there wouldn't be such an issue. Um, Yeah, well... <laughs> maybe if we didn't turn their countries into parking lots every couple of years on a pretty standard rotation, then... <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe we wouldn't have such an issue. I read a really interesting paper. I think I talked about this the last time we talked. About it. And it was basically tracing like how 9-11 can be directly sourced to World War One. And I think there was, man, there was so much interesting stuff about how we as the West. Okay, I'm going to use the super royal we, not even the U.S. royal we. The, the Western civilization has just screwed the Middle East. Okay, just screwed the Middle East for the last hundred years. Actually, actually, more than a hundred years now. It's 2020. Over a hundred years have we screwed the Middle East? So, uh, they're terrorists who threatened American allies and assets. So are Boogaloo boys. So, so were the uh, the founding fathers. They were terrorists who threatened British allies and assets. I mean, it's all perspective, man. It's all the perspective. Okay. Does Iran fund terrorists? Yes. Did they do bad things? Yes. Was the guy that we killed a bad person? He probably was responsible for the deaths of a lot of people. Yes. Does that make us the good guys? No. No, it doesn't. Okay. These things can all be true. All right. These things can all be true. (sighs) Let's see here. The founding fathers were patriots. They were terrorists, dude. I don't know who Axe-wielding Maniac is, but like, I'm not saying they were wrong. They were right to do so. But what do you think the British people thought of them as? Their their founding fathers in the revolution was no different than like Al Qaeda or the Taliban trying to take control of Afghanistan. Granted, they had completely different motivations. Sure. Fine. But like functionally, what they were doing is the exact same thing. Okay. Like says who says anybody who can objectively look at it. All right. Don't put these people up on that high of a pedestal, man. Like, they tarred and feathered tax collectors. Like, it's pretty metal. Like, (laughs) it's pretty metal. (laughs) Does it make us bad is the question, though. Does it make me and you bad? No. Does 60 years of us screwing over Iran because we wanted to destabilize the region make us bad? Yes. That makes us bad. You're a redcoat? No, I'm not. I already told you I supported them. I supported the... the, I think the revolution was justified. They got fat oil, though. Yeah, they do have fat oil. That's half the reason why. Um, Also, I haven't even talked about this either. Iran has a central bank. Can you... How many other countries have massive central banks that have influence over entire regions? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Not very many. (laughs) Um... I, I, I'm i not going to tread too far in a conspiracy theory territory because I think there's enough history here that we can literally just talk about the history of the relationship between the U.S. and Iran to see where all of this predicates from, but uh, pretty sure everything we did throughout empire building has made us not just bad, but evil. Um, evil is a really strong word. I don't know about evil. I think I'd settle with bad. Either way, bad's not good. So, <laughs> I'd like to be the good guys. Um, we did a, we had a really good propaganda machine for the Cold War and the pre Cold War era, like the fifties and sixties. Whenever we were involved in all of, the, I think there was a Hungary. I think there was a revolution over there. The communists tried to come up in Hungary, and we crushed that one. Uh, We did all of the Middle East. Basically, we orchestrated everything that was involved over there. Uh, What is the worst case scenario in your view with Iran? Total war. I think all that war is the worst case scenario. How likely is that? Five percent, one to five percent, somewhere in there. I don't think it's very likely. If we continue on this path every time we blow up another person or another Iranian convoy, it gets a little bit more likely every time. And eventually we're going to cross a threshold where I think it's more likely than it's not right now though. I I think I I don't, I I don't believe Um, the, the treaties and and the alliances between China and Russia and Iran. Look guys, World War three is, is a war that nobody wins. And I think everybody realized. So I think, at worst, we could. I think what's more likely is we see Iran develop into a proxy war, where Russia and China are funding heavily Iran, and we wind up with sanctions. Yeah, so this is my realistic scenario. I think, I think there is a chance of like a proxy war going on, kind of like in Afghanistan, but this time where other big powers are are involved because. China and Iran have a vest or China and Russia have a vested interest uh, so I could totally see us being deployed for eight to ten years again fighting against guerrilla forces and random well trained units that manned or may not be directly coordinated by Russia and China. But I don't I don't think World War Three is the likely outcome. Um I think it's much we have a smaller just a question of if Putin or Trump Got a better pull-out game. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, World War Three is... Nobody wins World War I think most... Man, I gotta really watch my words here. Because some of these people who run these countries are... And are easily manipulated. <laughs> Powerful people usually are. But... Do you believe that there's sleeper cells in this country? Um, I can guarantee you for a fact that there's Russian spies. Like, do you guys remember in like 2016 when we just like randomly surrounded a compound full of, of Russian uh, espionage agents and just like sent them all back? Does anybody remember that? It was like two dozen spies or whatever. They were like doing uh social media stuff. Uh, do it? Do I think they have like? sleeper cells designed to you know start striking internally in the country it's not out of the realm of possibility i've never i'm not trying to fear monger here i've never there was a big fear that al-qaeda had and they talked about them all the time but not really much came out of that so i think we have to see who radicalizes where if, if the current culture allows for people to be radicalized that hard, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if the U.S. is a, a acceptable climate of that, you know? Because, I mean, who's going to radicalize to Iran, you know? I mean, it, it, seriously, I, I don't know. Who knows exactly, right, Mary? Who knows? I can give predictions. Uh, I'm also the guy who said that Tulsi Gabbard was going to be... To be fair, she was for a couple months, but now she's not even in the race, so... Am I a foreign policy expert? No. Do I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the nuances of the situation here? Yeah, I feel like I do. Do you know of the heavy ties with the CAIR, Hamas, and Hezbollah? Yeah, Hamas and Hezbollah, you can pretty much just, at this point, you can just smash them together. They have pretty much operate as extensions of each other. Um, the Iranian revolutionaries are a lot more complex as far as they're... They're more like how, the Iranian revolutionaries are more like how ISIS started, which was as a subset of Syrian rebel factions that were funded by external sources, which then branched off and became ISIL, which became ISIS after they got killed. <laughs> the winner of World War III will be America. Um, then, I mean, maybe, or we'll all die. Has state chapters in all 50 states. That's interesting. I didn't know that. ISIS is a Mossad operation. A Mossad operation? I don't even know what you're saying. Hold on. What, what does that even mean? What, what, what wizardry are you speaking here? I've never heard the term Mossad operation. Uh Oh, you're talking like the actual person. Okay, I was like, what the heck is going on here? I was like, is this some kind of military term I've never heard of? No, okay, you're talking about the actual person. Uh, Where can I get a map and timeline of all this? I need it on paper in front of me. See, I really wanted to do like over here onto the side. You can't see where my mouse is, but you know, over here onto this side. I wanted to have like a map up and use my little stupid pen and go, oh, look, see, this is where this and this and that. I can, uh, I'll post them on Facebook. How about that? I, there, there are good maps of, like, how the Middle East has changed. And just Middle Eastern history, modern Middle Eastern history since, like, World War One onwards, really you need to know pre-World War I. So you need to know fall of the Ottoman Empire up to, but yeah. I'll post some stuff on the Facebook page with context for things in the... Uh, about the middle east uh and and i'll post things like the article the cia uh it's actually uh you can listen to it it's about um how the four-day uh coup happened the two coups the war is for israel usa versus iran i don't know if it's for israel i think i see i i i don't know if it's just me wanting to stay kind of away from that Line of thinking, but I, I don't I don't know, man. Israel is not as powerful. Everybody says it like Israel has us by the balls, and I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think that's a bit of a of an over. Um, could we be doing it in in a continuing interest in Israel and Saudi Arabia being the dominant powers in the Middle East, so that Iran doesn't come up? Like, okay, so we 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 blew up all of basically the important parts of Syria. So they, they're out of the game for a few years, at least while they rebuild that helps the vested interest we have in Israel and Saudi Arabia. But then we have Iran here. Who's recovering even through economic sanctions has been recovering, especially since the, they were in a big slump. Uh, I think it was like 2012 through 15 was when the Iranian economy collapsed. Um, Someone can cite me on that if I don't want to just, I mean, I'm kind of just throwing numbers out. I think that's about right. But uh, yeah, so I, I, think, I think just saying like, oh, this is about Israel, I think that's oversimplifying. I think there is more nuance to this. I'm not saying that we don't have a lot of vested interest in the maintenance of Israel. Israel is a big projector of American, inf- 100%. Now, how much of that is motivating Iran versus trying to destabilize Iran? to promote them i think that's more uh, i think that's that's more interesting honestly or i think that's more accurate to what's happening personally but yeah i mean i think we've kind of pretty much covered everything from as many we've kind of gone over the history we've talked about interactions i got a feeling are you an axe feeling maniac i got a feeling you might be there we go Uh, yeah so i think yeah we we had a a little surprise uh Healthcare conversation. We talked about the small victories we've made for Liberty over the last year. Uh, 52 strikes incoming from Dr. Trump. Hopefully not. I really hope not. That'd be a big bad news bears situation there. So uh, I'm just a fan for disengaging from pretty much everywhere. Not just the Middle East. But, uh, you know, obviously we want to stay somewhat involved as long as the United States. We can't just disappear diplomatically. But... Um, as far as military is concerned, I don't think anything over there is worth another whether or, or airman or pilot or, or corpsman or any of those people, nobody. So thanks for the time, bud. Good con. Thanks buddy. Yeah, it was good. It was, I mean, this was a good one. My dog is, ah, look at him. He's, I don't know what he's doing. His, he took his blanket off of his bed and now he can't decide where he wants it. So, oh, he knows I'm talking about him now. See, he just, he's just making it into a big old bundle. He's such a cutie. Does Red Bull give you wings? <laughs> um, I, um, I've i never gotten wings from Red Bull, but I I also haven't tried to get wings from Red Bull. So who knows, man? Maybe I'm just missing that particular uh, perspective on, on how to properly uh, consume Red Bull or what I should be benefiting from by having Red Bull. Yeah. All right, well... I think this is good. I think this is a good point to, to go ahead and, and stop. So if you guys enjoyed the show, uh, make sure to subscribe. Give it a like. Hit the little bell icon. You guys have heard this a million times. If you've been on YouTube, hit, uh, do that too hard. Uh, we have a podcast. It gets usually usually comes out within a couple days of the show airing. Um, I'm, I'm behind. I got to do the show from two weeks ago. But, you know, all the holidays and stuff, it kind of got in the way. So I will be doing that couple a couple of days uh, here and I'll also do this one, but uh, yeah, you can check out the podcast on every major podcast distributor um, over at Liberty after dark, Time kind to of stitcher, iHeartRadio, radio, Apple podcasts, Google play, all of it. Um, and if you really like the show, just to break even on the costs of, of the software that I use and, uh, buying all this equipment and everything I'm just uh just asking if if you really enjoy the show you can shoot me a dollar over on patreon Liberty after dark no pressure we're just trying to get to the point where we break even so <laughs> every month uh it's it's just uh, me freely producing content the only thing I'm paying is my uh my time for you guys from editing and doing the show so I think that would be a good place to be um yeah I think that's it though uh make sure yeah. Like, comment, subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. It was good having you guys out. Um, I hope I'll see you guys again next week, same time, Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central for Liberty After Dark, episode 28. We're coming up on 30. It's going to be pretty cool. Take it easy.